Hello, you're listening to Talk The Line. I'm Jen Long. Sorry if I sound a bit croaky this week, but I've got a bit of a weird cough thing. Not sounding as radio-friendly as usual, but maybe a bit sexy, maybe a little bit Phoebe and Friends. This is the podcast where I talk to a musician generally about something that they are passionate about. We upload a new episode every Friday and you can check out all our previous episodes at talktheline.blog. I particularly recommend Fred McPherson of Spectre fame on Pizza Express. You can follow us on social media. You can figure that one out. And if you do like this podcast, if you listen to it more than once or twice, please subscribe. It means it gets downloaded to your listening device every week without fail. And it gives us the big stats to mean we can go to those advertisers and make an absolute fortune. No, I'm totally kidding. It's just nice to know someone's listening. Two years ago, Rock Island, Illinois-born singer Lissy moved out of the orbit of the music industry machine and back to her native Midwest. Empowered by the success of her last record, which she released independently, she decided it was time for a life change and to do things more her own way. She broke free from an increasingly stifling Californian existence and bought a massive farm in northeastern Iowa. The experience ushered in a period of exploration in her music and the result was new record Castles, her fourth album, which she says is the record that people always wanted her to make. On her farm in Iowa, she's learning how to grow vegetables and build a self-sustaining conservation space and retreat, as well as keeping bees. I spoke to her about that beekeeping, about that nice calm way of life and a little bit about my own allotment. So I was excited because um, I started gardening about a year ago when I got an allotment and then I discovered that they have beehives on the allotment and yeah. s- sort of slowly started to realise how important they are and a friend was like looking to keep bees and then she started telling me all these bee facts and yeah. then from there I was just like, oh my God, they're actually amazing. Yeah. And I don't know how where you, whether you have like your own garden or your own like plot of land or I, I don't know where you're tell, tell me your story where it comes from um well so I grew up in the midwest of the United States and then I like went away and lived in California for a long time um but a couple years ago I bought a farm in northeastern Iowa so I have about 50 acres of land okay that's and far bigger than my five rods yeah but I think like are you in the city you have an allotment in the city where you can garden and yeah yeah, yeah. so I mean you don't need a lot of space to grow to grow food. And obviously, so bees are a vital part of the food chain. They pollinate, you know, our food. Um, but weirdly, I had all these like kind of things throughout my life. Like in LA, my day job was selling honey at a farmer's market. Um, so I ended up like learning a lot about bees then. And so people always gave me like beekeeping books, but I never have actually like kept bees. But now on my property, uh, Jerry, my buddy Jerry, he keeps bees and has been kind of slowly teaching me about, um, you know, there's different ways, different schools of thought on, on, on keeping bees because they're threatened and there's a lot of colony collapse. So there's a lot that goes into it mm-hmm. and I'm fascinated. So I go out with him and check the bees and, uh, you know, he can monitor their progress and make sure they're doing well. And so it's pretty cool. That's so cool. Tell me a bit about your farm then, because 50 acres is massive. What sort of stuff do you grow or rear or...? Well, I'd always had this kind of romantic idea that I'd have this farm in Iowa. Um, 
since I was little, but I didn't realize it would necessarily happen, you know, in my early 30s. But it just sort of impulsively was like, it's time and I want to own something. Um, so I got, well, it's actually 47.10 acres and I'm, <laughs> I'm hoping to expand, but I try not to talk too much about what I'm going to do like before I've done it. Um, but it's been like corn and soy uh, and some alfalfa, which is what is hay basically, you know. Um, and so I rent out like my tillable acreage to be farmed by my neighbor. But that's all the, you know, what we have in the U.S. It's like the more industrial agriculture, the uh, genetically modified, uh, you yeah. know, staples like corn and soy, which there are a lot of opinions about that too. You, you have far laxer rules and regulations around that than we do at yeah. the moment. Yeah. Concerningly. Yeah, and it is, I, I think it's an issue. I mean, I encounter people who encourage me to like do my research. Because mm. I did notice when I was my liberal California self, it's like I just would sort of spout little sound bites of things. Like I'd seen that other people who agreed with me on like, no GMO. Um, I would just sort of repeat little bits of things like from some documentary somebody saw and then they told somebody and then I heard it and then you know so I've really wanted to like make sure that I do my research but in my opinion I think that genetically modified crops aren't aren't sustainable and aren't good mm. that's my opinion some people say it's it's gonna cure world, world hunger because you have big yields but anyway so I have a guy who does corn and soy on my property and my hope is actually to take it all out of farming and just do like prairie grasses and wildflowers and oh, wow. plant trees. And so like the bees love that. So you can plant pollinator stuff. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I have a big garden and all that stuff. I want to hear about your garden oh. in the city because it's like you can grow food. It's a miracle. <laughs> like you put a seed in the dirt and the sun shines and, water, and it rains and you have food. It really, it's, it, it is actually quite miraculous. Yeah. You? because I got a cold frame because I was realizing I, I was trying to grow things from seed and I was realizing that I didn't didn't have enough windowsill space at home in order to get the seeds to germinate and um, also my cat doesn't really <laughs> like the windowsills and it's just like putting loose soil precious real estate with next a cat. to pancake it's just it's gonna go everywhere <laughs> so I bought a cold frame and you get your little seed tray and you put these tiny little, tiny little seeds in the, in, the, in the compost and then you stick it in there and then they kind of, you get little sprouts coming up, little seedlings. Yeah. And then you have to like, it's quite terrifying when you have to break them up. And also I think what I did wrong this year is I just felt they were all so fragile and I was like, oh, I don't want to throw any away. So I just planted, I did, I did it with Brussels sprouts and I just planted all the seedlings like all the seedlings into the into a not particularly big patch of, of land um and they grow they get they're massive yeah they're huge. i'm always amazed when i see brussels sprouts that they come on that like stick yeah like i didn't even know till i was older that that's how they grow i didn't even know <laughs> until now that's yeah, how they it's grow crazy. it's just this massive big trunk of a plant yeah with all of the little, I, little like, sprouts i couldn't it. even put the trunk in my compost after i kind of pulled them up at the end of the season because yeah. they're like 
they're just not going to break down. When you say cold frame, is that like you? It's like a like a raised garden bed kind of thing. But then, do you cover it? Um, it's just like a perspex box. Okay. That kind of you. Put, I put carpet under it to try and keep some moisture in, and then it's the sun shines in it and it warms. It's like a mini greenhouse. Okay. Yeah. So do you like cover? Do you cover up your stuff if it's cold, or is it just always kind of out in the elements? Um, it's got a lid, the cold okay. frame has, but everything else is out in the elements. But yeah, I've done potatoes. Um, runner beans, so many Jerusalem artichokes that give me oh, dreadful man. gas. Yes. I brought you some. I, brought, <laughs> I, I would have loved that. <laughs> I just made That's six the, the other day. The thing that you don't think of is that you have, when you have too much stuff, because I had like a ton of zucchini, and I yeah. love zucchini, and you can do a lot with zucchini. We call them courgettes. Yeah. Oh, courgettes, yes. Just for UK listeners. Yeah, no, and I, I knew that. I should have known better. <laughs> but the blossoms of the zucchini, like you actually can stuff those with like cheese and fry yeah. them. And I was making zucchini bread. I mean, my mom, you know, mom's so sweet because I would just dump all my produce on her and like go out of town and like don't let any of it go to waste. Yeah. And so she'd be like <laughs> making pasta, like zucchini pasta. But yeah, because you can just sort of spiral slice it, it and, yeah. and doing like lasagnas and freezing them and just <laughs> making sure none of it went to waste. But um. I love, you know, you can, because do you live right in the city yeah, then? Yeah. So you can, I mean, I love that you you can grow food in the city. When I lived in L.A. briefly, I, like, just had the saddest little rectangle of dirt. And I did grow, like, cucumbers and tomatoes. And um, every time I would go outside, I just, like, felt like it was Christmas morning or something. It's like, it's magic. <laughs> it, it is magical. Look at that. And I feel it tastes better because you've done it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And just that it's that fresh. I mean, mm -hmm. and so going into talking about my farm, like I had no intention that I want to like be a large scale farmer. And there's a ton of like organic farming and lots of different neat ways of farming happening around where I'm at. There's a lot of variety. Um, but I never really thought like, oh, I'll farm. I want to have like a conservancy space that's more just let the land rest and like plant trees and you know, I'd love to get animals, but I'm always on tour, so yeah. we'll see. But um, the uh, the gardening stuff, like I'd never really had space to do like a full proper garden. And so last May, um, I actually went to the lumber yard and I got, because I have a ton of land, like I could just put it in the ground, but there's a lot of deer and rabbits. And so I went to the lumber yard and I got a bunch of, um, like I me measured out this plan that I had to build these raised beds and like built my own beds like with a drill and I was like so <laughs> proud of myself and um and then like had my neighbor came and like helped me build a fence around them uh which like he had me do all the drilling but he ultimately like really had, needed help with it I didn't quite know what I was doing so that was such a sense of accomplishment to build the actual like raised beds that had the fence and I you know planted everything and really went out of town. Like I played Glastonbury last summer. Like I was doing a lot in Europe. I was recording my album and my friends would go by and just look, but it rained enough. Wow. And so when I came home, like in the end of July, I mean, I just had like, I had so much broccoli and celery and zucchini or courgette and yeah, spinach. Yeah. And a lot of the lettuces had come earlier in the summer when I was still there, but um, you can then do a second round. So in August, I reprint, I replanted my lettuces again, and I had some more lettuce before the summer was over. And um, how did you deal with the weeds if you're away for so long? Well, because I had built these raised beds, and I had just put like black dirt 
oh, in them. I don't yeah. think I like, didn't have any anything from the from the years before. Yeah, there was up. nothing in there from before, yeah. which I think kept it out. And I had experimented with like putting um, two summers ago. I put like uh, uh, garbage bags just down on the ground. Yeah, yeah. And then I cut holes in them and I planted in there. And then it was like there were no weeds because only. I've got like the the black. It's the like mesh stuff. Yeah, it's it's like kind of thick. So whenever I've like dug something over, I just cover it up. Yeah, because the weeds are just nonstop. Yeah, no, and I think like you had said with your seedlings, like I I don't tend to be someone that's like really good at stuff, and I get frustrated. Like in my thirties, like there's a lot of things I've tried, and I <laughs> didn't do well, and then I gave up. And what I've loved about like gardening over the last you know, maybe I had a garden for a couple summers in LA that was really small, like 10 years ago. But with the gardening stuff is like, you know, every time I do it, I learn something new. And so that's what I love about it too, is that like, it's such trial and error. Like you figure out what works and it's like, you know, I think I planted way too many cucumbers in a small space yeah. and they sort of took everything over to where the cucumbers weren't even as healthy as they could have been because there just wasn't enough it's the thing you think for you're them. like doing good and because you're getting yeah. more, but then you're actually just robbing the ones that are there of the nutrients and sunlight they need, and they're just sort of all carrying over each other. Yeah, and but it's like then, oh, okay, I see what happens. So next yeah. year I'll do it different. And obviously, there's tons of websites and people you can talk to. There's a really great place where I live in Iowa. It's called the Seed Savers Exchange, mm. um, and I've become friends with the woman that started it, and it's. It's like a whole other conversation. It's fascinating. It's um, this couple like in the 60s, 70s, who recognized that all of these heirloom seeds were gonna just go into extinction. Like, you know, there weren't, um, you order your seeds through a seed catalog mm. and people were wanting hybrid seeds because they're hardier. Yeah. So all of these seeds, like this woman's grandpa's morning glory seed, um, that like he, he, they had brought over maybe 200 years ago from Germany. and all of these special seeds that were very particular to families and areas and like their culture and mm. the, all of these uh, varieties were going to just completely disappear. Um, so they, her and her husband started this seed saving exchange and basically just got people from like around the country and I think the world to start sending like send us your grandparents seeds and we'll plant them and we'll make sure that they they're grown and saved and they send their seeds up to Svalbard to the seed bank up in the Arctic and they're basically them and a lot of other people now like them around the world where they're making sure that these old seeds don't just disappear. Yeah. Um, but then that's complicated too because <laughs> <laughs> the bees actually like if you have a like a hybrid or if you have a heirloom seed like this pure seed you it can't really get cross-pollinated. Right. And stay yeah. pure. So they have to do all of this really complex, like. So you're kind of fighting nature to preserve it. In a way, but then this other thing, which totally blows my mind, and I need to get more facts, but it's kind of my new, my new mind thing that blows my mind. So like a hybrid seed, which is sort of like a like a, a pure seed would maybe eventually become a hybrid seed just through like natural pro process of cross pollinating. I think. Yeah. But. And they're like hardier maybe and easier to grow, which is why more people want these hybrid seeds. And I think you can save hybrid seeds, but like a, and let's say this is where it's like I should probably, I'm pretty sure this is true. Like a genetically modified seed, if you had like a 
like a stalk of corn, you couldn't then like after you grew that stalk, then take those seeds and replant them. What? Do you know what I mean? So like, if I had a tomato, yeah, and I smashed it on a newspaper and mm-hmm. I let it dry, and like, then I could take those seeds and I could replant them. Yeah, yeah, of course. And, yeah. But I don't know that that's the case with modified seeds. Really? Oh, be- oh, because some things are modified so that they won't. Something grow happens to and, them and that they're not as easy to like. So it's like if I had one tomato today, mm. you know, next year I could have all of these tomato plants that I yeah, yeah. turned like from one beautiful thing that I got from the earth, I can turn into a Cause, whole. Because something spreads so so quickly, so viciously. Yeah. In, in a way that's you know that's that, that's good, but if you're trying to maintain a garden, because I have this stuff comfrey and it's been modified comfrey, yeah, so that it doesn't just take, because otherwise yeah. it would just spread everywhere. It would just be all over the place. They, yeah. they modified it so it doesn't seed itself? Well, I guess more my point is, and this is kind of like a conspiracy, <laughs> is that now if there's seeds that you can't turn into more food, you just have to buy more seeds. Oh. You know? That's what I'm curious about learning more about, yeah. is there's something about self-sufficiency that I'm really into. And like, you know, with the new album, like I'm my own label now. Mm. I find my own people I work with, I pay for everything from the money I make on the road. You know, I kind of have my own independent business model. And also, like I was saying, like I'm not necessarily like the kind of person who I do something once and it goes great. Like there's a lot of trial and error. (laughs) And so with like learning about like all the like food planting stuff and self-sufficiency, that's what I'm really curious about now is like, for a company who sells me the seeds to make it so that I can't create more seeds from that seed. Mm. You know, isn't that kind of creepy? Yeah, it's really creepy. Yeah, sorry if I didn't make that point well the first time around. (laughs) It's like, so that's something interesting about pure seeds is that like they're a lot easier to then save. Mm. And you never have to buy seeds because you just kind of can keep saving your seeds. If you have the patience to do so. Right, Yeah. but say, Say we lived in a post-apocalyptic world. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, that's why people like you and I will survive. Mm. <laughs> yeah. But what about, because is, is it different in the States with bees then? Because uh, I've read about the colony, uh, not co- colony, the colony Colony collapse. collapse, yep. Is it CCD colony, co- colony collapse something? I can't remember, it's, 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 it's most prevalent in North America. I mean, I know that the colony collapse is a big issue, and I think it might be more prevalent in North America. I don't know mm. that for sure. And there's a couple of reasons why that's happening. Some people think, so back to the seeds thing, that yeah. in this kind of way we do agriculture, especially in the US, there's seeds that are called neonicotinoid seeds, and it's like the thing that kills the weed right. is already on the seed. Oh. So you plant the seed and it grows, but whatever the chemical is that kills everything else mm. um, uh, is like kind of already embedded in the seed. So then it maybe saves you on on some chemicals down the road because it's all just like yeah. two in one, like from the get. <laughs> yeah, like like sometimes you might want to if you have something like a like bindweed, you might want to nip that with a little bit of. Um, you know, a chemical, some kind, some kind of weed killer, but yeah, I mean, you don't I really want to just spread over everything. But there's a difference between using some chemicals to, to maintain. I mean, we're talking just like large scale, like 
millions of acres of oh. of these corn seeds and these big machines that Can't harvest it. Can't do that by it. hand, can you? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. So the, th the thinking is the neonicotinoid seeds, one, is making bees sick. And then the other thing is there's this mite called the varroa mite. Mm. And it... Um, it gets into the like cell where the where the bees have been laid and like right before they cap the cell where the larva is right. the mite gets in there oh in the hive it gets actually in the comb itself so like if in you looked honeycomb. at a honeycomb each little hole is like a cell yeah and that's where they they lay that's the, where the larvae queen lays the egg yeah yeah she and where they make honey they yeah. have all this comb so they use it for different stuff but the larvae is in the little individual cells, like those little holes mm. in the honeycomb. And after like a certain time, they cap it for them to, to grow or incubate or yeah. whatever the word is. And this, this mite gets in there uh, called a varroa mite. And it like, it basically like it degrades the health of the bees. So now people are trying to breed these bees that are resistant to the mite, which gets into all kinds of other, like, na tampering with nature. Oh. I don't know. <laughs> so, you just wanted to have a pleasant conversation about bees, and it's like, no. they're so, it's so complicated. Yeah. They are fascinating. What is fascinating, too, about bees is that, so the queen lays all the bees. So she lays, she can lay up to 2,500 eggs per day. That I don't exactly I know, some, but I, I think did some yeah. fun fact googling before the yeah <laughs> no I think that sounds about right. It's pretty impressive. I mean, the queen basically goes out and she gets impregnated by a bunch of different drone Drones. bees babies, and then she comes back and she lays all these eggs. And the reason why like a queen becomes a queen is because the workers because mm -hmm. you have like different generations overlapping. The workers feed the royal jelly to the cell where the queen ultimately and becomes the queen. that's the only larva that only eats royal jelly. I think they can feed royal jelly to some of the other ones, mm. but they feed a lot of it to the one that becomes the queen. Yeah. yeah. Yes, like a ton of it. But I can't remember if it's 3,000. I also wrote some stuff down because I'm like, I don't really... Oh, yeah, 3,000 eggs in one day, like at her peak. Oh, wow. Um... And she can decide whether they're male or female. Yeah, so she can, just, depending on the size of the hole, I think, of like the comb, because drones are bigger, if she fertilizes it, it becomes a woman worker bee. If she doesn't, it becomes a male drone, drone, which is a male bee. Yeah. But the thing about drones is that they don't do any work. Yeah. So all the, male, all the worker bees are women. And the male bees go out and fly around and impregnate the queen bee. Mm. And drones can go to like any hive they want. They don't just, re and they never do any work. So oh. male bees don't do anything except for impregnate the queen. That's their only purpose. And usually before winter, the worker bees kick them out and they die because they aren't contributing and they're eating all the honey. Yeah. And I think, sorry men, but I just like that. <laughs> <laughs> they just like hang out and eat, get fat on the honey. <laughs> and all the women worker bees are just like fretting away, trying to make everything perfect. <laughs> and they ultimately end up kicking them out. And then because over winter, because they, they have like, the, that's where they make honey so that they can survive through the winter. But they, they generally make too much honey. Which yeah. is why we get to eat it. Yeah, I think, but you do need to. When I Jerry, my bee guy, I call him, 
he, um, you know, that is a thing that sometimes they, they'll take all their honey and just put sugar water in their bee boxes. Really? And supposedly they say, oh, they like it just as much as the honey. Well, you don't really know that. But yeah, as oh long God. as they have enough like energy to last them through the winter. But yeah, hopefully they have leftover honey so yeah. that when you take it, you're not taking their like winter stores of what they need to survive. Because honey apparently is like the only thing that has everything you need to survive in it. Oh, wow. I was reading something that's got all these different enzymes and like everything that you need to function and survive and yeah. everything down to water. It's miraculous. Like in, it d doesn't go bad. Like yeah. it's an antiseptic so you can put it on burns. They used it in like the First World War to treat wounds. Yeah. It's Which pretty insane. I think they find it in tombs and it's like, it doesn't go rancid because there's, it just doesn't go bad. I think it's like something like, like naturally created preservatives, like the bees put natural preservatives into it. So oh, it's so amazing. You could find a jar of honey from like 20 years ago and you could still eat it. Yeah, it really is incredible. I mean, and I think I, uh, I don't know. I think it's interesting to learn more about because there's so much just already that exist within nature and how it works that that we can make our lives easier by just going with nature cycles and like going with it instead of trying to top it or fix it or I don't know I feel yeah. like more more inspired like you were talking about composting and it's like if you have the right ratio of like you know nitrogen and carbon like your garbage will break down very quickly yeah. And I don't think that's something that is utilized like in landfills. Maybe it is, but there's like a reason why. And it'll turn into like energy, you know, yeah. it'll turn into fertilizer. Or, so I just think it's fascinating learning about not only the bees, but um, and also once you get the wax cappings from the bees, you can render their wax just on your stovetop. So you just put the you just put all the gunk, like all the wax cappings and debris that kind of you scrape off. So that's all, all the things they use to cover the little honeycombs. Yeah, all the wax that they cap it with and stuff yeah. that falls to the bottom of the box. And mm. my neighbor showed up with a gallon pail of that and you just put it on the stovetop over low heat with um, like some water mm. and it rises and then you scrape the gunk off the bottom and it's like pure beeswax. You can wow. make candles out of it and lip balm. <laughs> And your comfrey you were talking yeah. about, that's actually the roots of comfrey are like a, nat a medicinal healer. Yeah. Comfrey has like healing properties. So you could mix your wax with your um, comfrey root and you could make some kind of like, like tiger balm almost, something that would like heal you. <laughs> it's really cool, isn't it? It's so exciting. I won't have to keep trying to get Australian friends to bring me pawpaw over anymore. <laughs> yeah, what is pawpaw? Cause I've, that's some kind of like, Topical it's, thing. It's that some kind of topical lip balm. Icy hottie kind of. Put it on a cut or a burn or anything. It's just yeah. it's nice. But it's natural. I think it's natural, okay. yeah. It's, it's, it's really expensive over here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, there's so many things now, like in being expired and inspired, expired, inspired, talking about the bees, but it's all sort of connected in like all these like magical ways that the earth is like providing for us. And when you have a garden, then you can start canning yeah. and pickling. Making jams. Making jams. Yeah. <laughs> like, you, you know, you need it needs to be your full-time job. I keep being like, why can't I just make like a million dollars off my music so I can go full-time <laughs> pioneer woman? 
because it is a lot of work. Have you ever thought about like, oh, it's, it's a bit heavy to carry around on planes and stuff, but selling jams and honeys on the merch table? No, I well, I haven't, and I sort of have. <laughs> I think, I but I could sell that stuff online someday. You know, I diversify. You should, yeah. Um, so how many beehives do you have then, or does Jerry have? And Jerry has. There's like six. They're called like Langsroth hives is the the style that's like just those wood boxes that have like different yeah. levels you know they can be one level high you might see like four four squares on top of each other um, and then the frames are inside of like those boxes so he probably has like six of those wow um but he uh i think it was so cold it was like negative 15 Celsius or negative 15 fahrenheit right like, okay. in iowa some of this winter. Oh my god, that's really, it's really cold, cold, isn't it? So I think some of the bees might have died because it just oh. got too cold for them. But he like insulates them and checks that's on them because they huddle together, don't they, to try and? I think so. I was reading that they had like they have the queen bees at the center, and then they wrap themselves like in a ball. It's called oh no, balling the queen is when they kill her. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but they do go into like a kind of ball, and then the outer layers they swap so that no bee ever gets too oh. cold. That's amazing yeah. and how sweet. So sweet. But then when they want to kill an intruder, it's not, apparently the stings are more developed for scaring off vertebrae, not so much for insects. When they, if like a hornet gets into the nest, they like ball up and they squeeze it so the temperature gets so hot inside that it, it almost like burns to death. Whoa. Yeah, and so when they want to get rid of a queen, that's what they do. They just all the worker bees wrap themselves into a tight ball around the queen and she dies. Oh, wow. Balling the queen. Jeez. It can get vicious in there. Nature's savage. brutal. Nature's <laughs> <It> brutal. <laughs> They're like, our queen is starting to get old. We need to take her down and create yeah. a new one. Yeah. Well, they decide that, the worker bees, don't they? Yeah. They're just like... They do. I think jelly. she stops giving off... Um, Something about the sperm that she's carrying around inside of her makes her emit these pheromones that sort of make everyone listen to her. Yeah, yeah. And that's once, how she, tells once she runs what to out do. of them, maybe they are like, oh. "We got to take her down." <laughs> and she doesn't even. She can't get the sperm from their drones, because obviously then it would be, there'd be like a weird inbreeding thing. Inbreeding thing. So she know. has to go to another hive to to get the, the other another hive's drones sperm. Or maybe she's just like run her course, sadly. Like, I don't know if she can keep re-upping or not. Oh, no, I meant like just as the, for the first round. Oh, for the first round, yeah. yeah. I don't even know if there's a second round. Yeah, I don't think, I don't think there is a second no. round. I don't know. I don't know. But she can have sex with like up to, I think it's like 70 bees or something like In that. In like one. And they all quick. die. <laughs> they all die because their abdomen gets ripped out and left inside her or oh, something. God. Something gets left inside her and it like rips their abdomen out. See, I didn't know. I like that you've got the like hardcore bee facts. <laughs> <laughs> like, savage bee facts. No, the, I didn't know any of this. This is so good to know. It's so cool. Yeah, it is so cool. So she just like fills up with 70 drones worth of sperm and then flies back to her nest and just starts you know, knocking out drones and the occasional worker. Yeah, I think it's incredible to think, I mean, how different obviously insects and all mammals and stuff are, but that like, you know, she can go out in one day and get impregnated with thousands and thousands of babies. Yeah. You know, and, and carry them all at the same time. I 
I don't even know how it would work that quickly. I don't know. Just literally like, like 3,000 a day, just popping them out. Yeah, it's really I mean, it's quite lucky that we can't do that. I know. In all honesty, because... <laughs> I hear you. Otherwise, I think the world would be in a far worse state. Yeah, I mean, we can talk about overpopulation on another... Oh, God, that's a whole <laughs> other podcast. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But that's a concern as well. <laughs> But no, I guess maybe it's just like when she lays the little eggs, maybe they're just so teeny, teeny, tiny, and then they grow into the little gooey, ooey larvae. Yeah. I mean, it's, maybe it's just microscopic when she, you just wonder how could she have so many microscopic yeah. egg, she eggs She must just her. keep making them. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how that works. Because it's something, I mean, a hive can be anything from 20,000 to 60,000 bees. So she's got all this sperm in her, but she's just like making the eggs as she goes? Because not every egg will get fertilized with the sperm. Right, yeah. She chooses when to, I don't even how, how do you yeah. decide? Well, it's funny because there are a lot of questions because like talking about it, I've learned more. But then sometimes I'm like, well, it's one of those like chicken or the egg things sometimes too, because it's like, well, who... Like, how does it absolutely start Start from the beginning? Like, if you're interfering, it's like you have your queen and your brood and your box, and you kind of start from there. Mm. But then, you know, the, some of that brood, when you have a new queen, is must be from an old queen. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And then the new queen will create new brood that will, like, go on, and then sometimes they swarm, and then they break off into different hives. And yeah. They, they know who's from their family, though, through the sen their sense of smell. I get probably. Yeah, apparently they have, like, an insane sense of smell. That's how they recognize each other. Yeah, there's so much to learn about bees. They're pretty incredible. And I think about that as a songwriter, too. Like, there's so many, like, metaphors or, like, visuals or imagery that could be really, like, honed in on to create something because there's just such, it's such a miracle that's just what I think like how incredible like just our bees and honey honey yeah, and that we need them to continue life on this earth because along with like other kinds of insects and birds like that's how our food gets pollinated mm. like I'm pretty sure that like some company has developed like little robot bees or something oh but oh, that makes me. Aye, doesn't that make you sad? Yeah, because I think it's something like two thirds of the food we eat has been cross pollinated by bees, or had some kind of. I read that it might not be entirely true, but I think we just, you know, we're so big and we're so like self-important. Sometimes you just totally forget that so much of what you exist on depends on these tiny little pieces of the the the, the circle of life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and what I find interesting too, though, is there's a lot of people who like this is this is their life and their everyday reality, and they're still connected to it. So when they probably hear me being like, "Oh my God, that's so cool," they're like, "Yeah, <laughs> that's like life, that's nature, like yeah. that's you know." But I think there is this, and now as I'm becoming more connected to it, like I'm also like want to be careful sometimes where it's like. And do I know all my facts? Like, should I be like yeah. making sure I totally know what I talk, I'm talking about? Because I think there are, you know, I'm trying to find this balance. Like even living in a country right now, it's like so divided. It's like, how can you hear out different people's opinions on how to do things and see some of the value in some of it and like, but not get in a fight about it? 
but like understand, well, if you're telling me like doing it this way means that less people will go hungry. Okay, well now let's look at this evidence. Is that true? And if we see that at the end of the day, maybe it's just about profit and it's not really about curing hunger, yeah. you know, but I also wouldn't want to like insult anyone who for generations has been farming a certain way. Because yeah, I'm not yeah. a farmer, so I, it's like for me, I'm like, I'm a singer that used to live in California. <laughs> Let me tell you about farming. I know all about it. And it's just like, they're like, you come from the land of fruits and nuts. That's what they, somebody who jokingly had said, like, California's the land of fruits and nuts. Um, yeah, okay. I'll yeah. That. <laughs> yeah, so I'm like, I don't want to start, like, telling everyone about but what, then the thing what I think, but I think there is, a, it's encouraging because a lot of younger people who are getting into like farming really seem to um, be, you know, more interested in like companion planting and like, you know, permaculture and ways that you can plant things together so that they actually give each other water so you don't need to water them as much or yeah, maybe like fun. mung beans put nitrogen in the soil and that's good for the sunflowers and you don't actually need all the crazy equipment and yeah. fertilizer and stuff because like nature will do it for you, but just maybe not on as large of a scale. Do you do you think about bees when you when you plant in your garden? Do you have like a section for like wildflowers or anything like that? I did. Um, I'm trying to think. I think that I put some like marigolds in, which wasn't marigolds. I mean, they they just put themselves in in my garden. There's just everywhere. Oh, they're just the seeds, just, just everything's, yeah. yeah. There's a marigold everywhere. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's quite Oh, nice. marigolds, really. We have a lot of, like, um, dandelions, but one thing the bees really liked a lot, which I thought was cool, is the broccoli. Um, oh, really? Because, you know, broccoli, if you don't pick... I've got some purple sprouting coming up now. So some of the broccoli, if you let it go to flower, the, my broccoli at least, they flowered yellow, and the bees loved the broccoli flowering. Ooh. Um, because, you know, if you don't pick the broccoli, like, it'll just flower. Like, yeah, with yeah. a lot of herbs, it'll start to flower. You know, any of that stuff really just starts to flower. Yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't realize that there was a time to pick on a lot of things. I was just like, oh, you oh, missed just your let window? Them, let them grow. <laughs> oh, no. That, that's inedible now. So what are the best things in this climate to grow in, like, the London, oh God, British? London. Because you don't maybe get as much. Because Iowa is pretty fertile because we get a ton of sun. Yeah. And pretty, it gets pretty hot in the summertime. It sounds like it got quite cold, though. In the winter, it's very cold. But in the summer, it's very hot. It's right. a very, like, you know, yeah. very seasons. And I suppose we seasons. never get really hot. But then we never get, I mean, we get frost. You get a frost that takes a few things out, like my rhubarb completely, and the comfrey as well. But it, it grows back. Yeah. It grows back. Oh, rhubarb. That's, so do you ever make any pies with any of your rhubarb? Um, I had enough this year to do just like a little, I just stewed it. Oh, that's lovely. Nice. They're getting, because I only planted them maybe like nine, ten months ago, but they're getting kind of more lodged in there. And some of my neighbors have like massive rhubarb. So rhubarb's good here. Um, I've got some winter garlic and some winter onions in. Nice. I guess we get like more hardy stuff over here. But then in the summer, you can do a lot of soft fruits. I've yeah. got some blueberry bushes. I've got an apple tree. And I want to get like a cherry and a plum tree. This year. I feel like it's a good, from what I've observed, like the British climate is good for like fruit trees and stuff. Yeah. It I seems... mean, not like maybe, I don't know. I don't know if I could get away with like oranges. 
Yeah, no, I don't think citrus would grow, but no. I think like apple trees and apples are good. Yeah, because like, can you grow tomatoes very you easily can. here? Yeah, you can do to tomatoes in the. Uh, I nearly said tomatoes as well. Yeah, I? I adopted your <laughs> tomatoes. Accent. Yeah, you can do tomatoes in the summer. Do you yeah. have to put them in any kind of like greenhouse situation when uh, you're starting, or? Um, I think it depends. I haven't tried it. I think most people do them in the greenhouse. Yeah. yeah. Or some people just do them on their like balconies or if they have like in, in their houses, if they have patio doors and the sun comes through the, the sort of big patio door. Yeah. And you can't, in most places sell them in like grow bags. But I know a few people that have done them outside if you just have like a good spot, like a little sun trap. Yeah, because I wondered that because I have some friends in, Nor in Norway and I was like, you can't really like just grow a tomato like not in a greenhouse that easily. Yeah. And the growing season in Iowa, like in the winter, nothing's going to grow, but you do plant your garlic in the fall, yeah. but then you have to cover it up with straw because it gets so cold. So I'm not expecting, and nothing's going to grow in the winter in Iowa, but then, um, you know, come spring and summer, it is just like so consistently like sunny and hot that a lot of the things that like maybe in different climates, you know, it's also interesting. And then I lived in California, it's like you have several, you know, a couple of growing seasons because yeah. it never, Freezes. Of course, yeah, it's always sunny. Yeah, I lived in a place that was just full of like citrus groves and avocados and oh, Ojai, wow. California, and it was like just, just it's it's really life affirming, all of it, growing food, like communing with nature. I think it's very exciting, and I love seeing people in cities like making use of gardening and keeping bees and rooftop gardens. Oh and, yeah. Did you ever see that film SEO Trot? No. So it's um it's uh, an adaptation of the Roald Dahl book. Okay. Um, so it's about this guy who it's I won't spoil it for you. It's great. It's about tortoises. Okay. Um and he has like a roof garden and Dustin Hoffman plays him in the film. Oh. And his roof garden it's like a he's got like a balcony but it's 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 like my dream of how I would want to have like a little balcony somewhere. It's just all kind of like trellises and, and plants and things growing yeah. between each other and it's just like it just looks idyllic and yeah it's in the it, well of the it's city. like a, like a mat like you imagine like fairies are gonna like fly out of the yeah. leaves or something <laughs> it's so magical but it really is whenever you go somewhere like a Kew Gardens and you step into oh, those yeah. greenhouses and it does feel magical which really is ridiculous does. because it's the polar opposite of magic it's just scientific nature yeah but it's just interesting, like you said, and people, we do, I think, walk around like, oh, we got it all figured out. And yeah. I feel like nature has so many lessons for for us. And for part of the reason of wanting to move like to Iowa and get this land was just as someone who, you know, as an artist or can be touched by mel melancholy or, I mean, I, the most peace and joy I feel is usually when I'm, you know, outside and like getting my hands dirty and like connecting with nature. There's just nothing like it, you know, know. for me. I know it's different for everybody. I'm but. sure, yeah. I'm sure some people wouldn't appreciate being out in the cold and rain, digging things over and pulling up weeds, but the time just disappears. It's crazy. And then you realize that you spent half an hour sitting watching like a robin peck at a worm. And you're <laughs> yeah. just like, this is great. And you're like worn out. So like you're dinner tastes extra good yeah. and like you know your shower feels extra good <laughs> no I love I love it so cool, cool. SEO trot yeah, e it's tortoise backwards 
Oh, oh, tortoise backwards. Yeah. Sorry, you said that. It's no, a, I have a, to look that up. It's a good one. It's, I mean, yeah, all of Roald Dahl's books are good, aren't they? Yeah, I never really read a lot of Roald Dahl. Oh, Roald Dahl. God. My mum said I cried when I realised I'd finished the a big thanks to Lissy, and do check out that film SEO Trot, it is wonderful. You can find our show notes and previous episodes at talktheline.blog, and upcoming topics include the Shondaverse and Finnish clothing company Marimekko. Next week, I'm talking to Kate Nash about Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and yes, it is as good as it sounds. You've been listening to Talk the Line. I'm Jen Long, produced by Paul Bridgewater with original music by Seams. This is a podcast from the line of Best Fit. You can check them out on the internet. Please do subscribe to this podcast, follow us on social media, or if you're feeling particularly serene after that wonderful, calming conversation, leave us a nice review. See you next week.